Twice a week, Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay dissect the biggest topics in Black culture, politics, and sports on their show, Higher Learning. They discuss the most important and timely conversations while also frequently inviting guests on the podcast and occasionally debating each other. Check out Higher Learning on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me on the other line, winner for best limited podcast host, it's Andy Greenwald. You know something I don't? I always thought I was an ongoing. You know, but, if, but look, if, if Casey makes the right offer, we'd be willing to see if the story takes us somewhere else. You know what I mean? I think that's right. But so, but what you're saying is this is for you more of a Damon Lindelof and Watchmen situation where yeah. you've said all you need to say with me. Yeah. And so you're I just, happy to let someone else come in. now I'm working on the next generation. Who, who, who can I bequeath this legacy to? What's up, Andy? It's Monday. It's the day after the Emmys. And we're here to talk about television's biggest, I guess, it's, is it its biggest night? Do you feel like the Emmys has the, the oomph that the Oscars does for movies in terms of it's importance. It's it's like this is where the calendar turns. Well, yes and no. No, because TV is a full time year round gig. It does not. It no longer subscribes to any kind of recognizable seasonal flow. So it to the, so for that reason, no. The Oscars, for whatever reason, and maybe this is all going to start changing tend to still follow a similar schedule where the movies that feel they are worthy of being considered or feel like they might have a shot, right, are grouped specifically at the end of the year. And there's a whole gauntlet of festivals. And that system, even as the ability to screen them in theaters crumbles all around them, that system still feels in place. But I do think the Emmys are an important night still for any number of reasons, slightly diminished due to I, I guess there were COVID restrictions last night. I guess having a satellite London party was there bowing to some version of reality. But it I, might I also think just that be that they could not fly into Los Angeles without having to quarantine for some period of time, either on the way here or on the way back. Also, Peter Morgan, uh, big Larry Elder supporter, <laughs> you know, because I think that his time with entrenched dynasties makes him just naturally sympathetic to, right. you know, sort of like just frisky outsiders. Um, all, all I'm trying to say is TV, and I'm not just saying this because this is the medium that we work in and we talk about a lot, it still is where the juice is, right, in terms of the culture and people watch these shows and think about these shows and talk about these shows. And the night 
is very important as a bellwether of where things are going, who's watching what, what's rising, what's falling. But also, and this is my blanket take, you can you can take this take and use it to keep warm for the rest of the podcast if you want. My main takeaway is that the people who are voting on the Emmys watch TV. Yeah. The Emmys, more than any other major award, certainly more than the Grammys, and I believe more than the Oscars, seem to be watching not just the same shows that we watch on the podcast, but they seem to be doing their best in terms of paying attention to the things that a vast and diverse group of television viewers are watching and paying attention to. And I thought the nominees were very much a reflection of that. And to a slightly diminished degree, the winners were a reflection of that as well. So on paper, I think it was a successful night unless you actually watched the show. Yeah, that's a very accurate takeaway where I think that during the show, I was like, it's wild that it doesn't feel like this this ceremony has as many false starts and diversions as the Oscars usually has with like long montages or musical Mm -hmm. performances or several speeches and Ernst and Young explanations or whatever. But I still felt like I was there for for what felt like three and a half hours. I'm glad I got to see the last five minutes of the Ravens Chiefs game. But like it felt like it took a very long time to get somewhere. That being said, if you look at the piece of paper with all the winners on the list, you're kind of like... Those are good good performances. These are good pieces of writing. These are good pieces of directing. And these are good shows. I would be really curious if the Emmys would gain or lose traction by going to something closer to the Oscars. Now, television would never allow something like this to happen where they would go to a best show Emmy. And let's say, okay, so for, for instance, right? Like the best show Emmy would be, here's like a, my idea of what the nomination list would be. It would be Mare of Easttown, mm. The Crown, Queen's Gambit, Ted Lasso, I May Destroy You, The Mandalorian, and Hacks. That would be your best show Emmy. Right. I don't know that that is clear cut as to whether The Crown or, or Queen's Gambit won their two their awards or won their categories and then um, Ted Lasso won comedy. And then you have maybe a somewhat like brighter spotlight thrown on very deserving shows, especially my, I may destroy you, which I want to talk about later, but also hacks and Mandalorian is there for kind of the box office pop, but also it's a very good show. I don't know. What do you think about the idea of like maybe collapsing some of these? Because we're already, if you've got Hamilton (laughs) up for all these awards, I don't really know what we're doing with these, these award definitions. I I think that, um, again, I think the Emmys have been pretty responsive and it's very difficult to move any organization this large and entrenched in any direction. I think compare and compared to again to their contempt or their peers in terms of large groupings of industry professionals, I think they've been relatively fleet of foot and responsive to the changes in their medium. The fact that they understand that limited series, event series, whatever you want to call it, is the prestige category now and put it at the end of the show is a sign. It's a small sign, but it's a sign. The fact that um, movie was carved out of that was a sign. So that when you got you have those nominees for limited series that ended the show, Hamilton wasn't there. Yes. Which is yeah. good, because that doesn't make sense. And I think we should, it's worth saying as a historical corrective, for, for younger listeners of our podcast, or people who didn't pay much attention, is recently, I mean, very recently, but certainly when we were growing up watching the Emmys, this category was the limited series movie one was just this weird potpourri mm-hmm. where it would be like Dolly Parton special and Lonesome Dove and something you've never heard of about like, please give me my children back. I demand you. Yeah. And the ding- dingo on my Lifetime. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> and 
it would just be they would just get through it quickly so they could get to the real word, which was making sure the West Wing won again or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they've slowly started to evolve and strip some of those things out makes sense. The fact that there was still this odd performer logjam where all the dudes from Hamilton are nominated in the same category as Ewan McGregor and Halston, whatever. Like that was odd. And I feel like maybe we need to advance past that as well. But to your point, what is a movie for TV these days? Because movies are on TV these days. And Hamilton was a filmed performance that was supposed to be in theaters, got diverted to Disney plus and suddenly gets all these nominations here and then blocks out the sun from Bo Burnham's Inside, which to me is what that category should be celebrating, which is the kind of like, uh, just 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 the exciting, personal, creative, I can take this box and fill it with something. Sure. And this could only happen on television, which that show was. To so, be fair, he did win for but, directing in that category. It's just that right. that wasn't on the broadcast. Yeah. I think that, um, to your point, I like the idea of, see, I, I, I guess, the, I took the long way around your question because I think I, I may have misheard. I may have misunderstood it. Because so, are you suggesting that we get rid of the existing categories or cap the night with one new one ring to rule no, them all? No, I, I, I don't think it should Cherry be. Cherry tor- picks the best from each. Yeah, I don't think it should be a tournament. And I think one, you know, TV is way too vast to just do one award for all the shows. You know, it's mm-hmm. whether or not you think that the comedy drama designation is random. Whether or not there's a second season of Mayor of Easttown, and that then you know retroactively somehow negates its acting victories like we can litigate that but i do wonder whether there is at least for the shows themselves something to be said for a um these are the seven or eight best shows that were on television last year regardless of genre regardless of whether or not they were going to be limited or a running series and let's let's sort of put them all together and then simply by being nominated something like i may destroy your hacks gets like kind of a little bit more wind in its sails. Not that those shows were completely overlooked or anything. I think the other thing that gets underrated when talking about this is that for as much as the the movement of TV has been towards shorter runs, limited series, event series, movie stars parachuting in for one season of something, or just with timing, even without COVID, some years you don't get a show now, and then other years you get a show. We're still kind of, all that is obscuring the fact that something that has defined the Emmys forever is the ongoing situation with series. Meaning, and I don't think people, so so you get today a lot of, a lot of feedback saying, ugh, enough already for John Oliver. It's just like, totally get it. That's fine. Everyone wants to see fresh blood or new acceptance speeches or whatever, but they don't understand what it was like seeing John Larroquette win for a decade. Mm-hmm. for Night Court. Or like, I think at a certain point, Larroquette was like, no, no, please, thank you. I'm no longer going to submit myself yes. to this. Yeah. Like, it used to be even more uh, repetitive year after year after year after year. And and in a way, seeing the same winners or seeing certain shows like The Crown just take them all kind of is the spirit of how we experience TV, right? I mean, we binge it. We want we, we want as much of it as we can. And so I'm a little more sympathetic to the idea of certain shows just gobbling up all the awards or certain actors gobbling up or or, or people love to watch John Oliver. They're going to give him the award. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree that on that night, it would be nice to see something else recognized just for the novelty. But I do think we have to shift our thinking because there was no way Hacks was going to win Best Comedy Series. It was pretty cool that Lucia and Paul and Jen won yeah. writing. 
And then Lucia won directing. Yeah. And Lucia won directing. That was huge. And partially, could you say that's because all the Ted Lasso nominations canceled each other out? You definitely could say that. But I don't know why you would, because it's better for everyone when we have these kind of award show nights where, yes, we get who's winning the headlines, but let's just go a little bit below the fold and see Michaela Cole did win an Emmy. I, yeah. It's great. This is yeah. a great thing. So that's that's a little bit of how I'm processing all this, um, despite there being some, yeah, I mean, maybe just maybe we should just go back to the first point, which was it's the, it's the TV show awards. The Emmys are a TV show. It was a terrible TV show. So let's that talk was a little, bummer. Because let's last let's year talk a little a bit about the, the TV show aspect of it. I think last year they were one of the only award shows to sort of competently recognize the moment while still giving people a mm-hmm. semblance of comfort or norm- normalcy, if that's what they craved, or just got to see famous people. Mm-hmm. This year was much more closer to the Globes, I thought, than anything else. Um, you know, obviously, with all the shows sitting at tables and seemingly like mm-hmm. they were getting served a little bit and hanging out, and it, it, felt, it felt a little bit more casual. Um, Cedric the Entertainer was the the host. I, I, I like Cedric the Entertainer. Love Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, I thought the there were some bits that worked better than others. You know, I, like, I, I, like for sheer sort of what the fuck is happening. I guess the Bismarck Key tribute to open the Emmys was something. No, it wasn't. I'm not even going to let you do it. it. That was that was horrific. It was awful. <laughs> um, and here's why it was awful. Not because the late, great Bismarck Key didn't deserve a tribute in a medium that he was not fam- particularly known for. That's right. fine. Um, what really bugged me about it, and I, I want to say, I agree with you. I, I like when they go to the Globes, like, drunk celebs at tables. That's a cool feeling. The problem for me was TV, unlike, I mean, for me, the difference between TV and movies and understanding like the work ethic and and how things get made, not the work ethic, but that's not fair, but the way work goes Mm -hmm. was from our perspective, you and our, literally us, like going from magazine journalism to books, right? And the thing about magazine journalism that I think appealed to both of us was there's going to be a July issue. And you're going to have to stay up all night or write something, but it's coming out and then there's going to be another one. And it's kind of like you just got to get it done and it's not going to be perfect. And movies sometimes can get lost in the perfectionist of everything because everything has to be just so and it's it's tailored within an inch of its life. And I think that's Def- one of the reasons why- Definitely the movies why this year have, have been perfectionist films. Perfect, including the way they've been released. You're right. I've nailed it again with my wisdom of the cinema. But I think- one of the reasons why the Emmys worked last year was because there it was imbued with that spirit of we just got to get back to work and we got to get the show rolling and we know how to do that. And a lot of the credit goes to the crews and the crews got a lot of love from the podium last night, especially you know for steering ships through this really challenging time. The problem with the show for me last night wasn't a little dicky and it wasn't Rita Wilson, although that should be a problem for us societally, I, I think. It was that it, it, it reached for that same vibe that the Oscars do that drives me crazy, which was, hey, remember TV? TV's great, right? We love TV. And everybody's singing and dancing and talking about how much they love it. It's a little tryhard when it's like, guys, you won. You won culture. You are what people watch. It's just absolutely indisputable that people are fired up and excited to see this group of people and watch these shows. So just enjoy it. Feel good. You don't have to keep doing this and singing and dancing to get people to be interested in fucking television. Television won. It won the country. 
It won the world. So that vibe was just so bizarre to me. It just didn't, it didn't ring true and it didn't make sense. I don't know why TV has, continues to have, at least in its public performance of itself as a medium, this like stepchild syndrome. Like, mm-hmm. what, 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 what was the thing you said about people who are good at golf, they keep the ball in front of them? Sure. Yeah, like, keep it in front of you, TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, let's keep going. Let's just knock it down That's the a, course to have a nice day out. Yeah. So, so that, that really bugged me. It, 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 there was, it's just this weird, like, I'm not sure if this is going to work as a show thing, even though we have a room full of beloved performers having a great time with free champagne. Like, just do it, man. Just yeah. have a nice time. It was a really interesting juxtaposition. I thought that there were a couple of uh, presenters uh, and appearances where I was like, there's a, there's a sliding doors, like, what if this person or these people had been hosting? Which isn't to take away anything from Cedric the Entertainer. It was more just like, the vibe was just incredibly different. So, for instance, like, Seth Rogen as, as the host of the night would have been pretty interesting. I think it would have been much more self-effacing about about yeah. the entire thing. Also, like, you know, and I think you always kind of wonder about when you see very, very, very well-trained comedians, not that Cedric the Entertainer isn't, but when sh- the Shit's Creek Quartet came out and did their, their bit, it's kind of reminded me of Wig and F- Will Ferrell, like at certain award shows or, you know, where it's just like the improv is very, very, very high level. Now, I don't know if that could be sustained through an entire episode of you know entire award show but it was definitely i thought like there were a couple of moments like that where i was like oh i wonder what this show would be like if you did that if you were if you're going with this rather than I, I kind of a little bit more of a traditional variety show like we have a sketch we have a musical number we have this cedric the entertainer is so funny and he's it's in his name how many people can call themselves the entertainer and earn it i love the guy i love seeing him do anything except rap biz Marquis, apparently with with little dicky but I just don't get why these shows that already start on third base, you have all the famous people in shows we like. It's going to be, you're going to give trophies, they're going to give speeches, it's going to be fine. Why does someone in the room, and at what hour during the development process is someone like, let's give celebrities microphones to sing and dance? Why do we keep doing this? Like, when are we going to learn that this isn't what we need or want? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just bizarre to me. It's just a bizarre self-own. What do you um, think the vibe that I, that was I don't understand. in the in the crown room in London at what mm-hmm. if, what was like two thirty in the morning at that point mm-hmm. when the show starts and and TV you've got what I need is is like planned through the rafters. I I think that everyone's eyes turned to Gillian Anderson and they were like, y- "You own this. You're the only American in the room. <laughs> Defend this." Like, let's keep borders closed. I, I just feel like they hopefully were having some good laughs. Yeah. <laughs> Dopey it is here. They were feeling pretty good about their decisions not to get on a plane right now. Um, I, I'll say in their defense, it is still, even though most That's of the country... That's because they didn't see the extra five minutes of Josh O'Connor just freestyling like a uh, slug right. from atmosphere, like acapella. Yes. <laughs> That's right. If only we could get that B-roll footage. I, I think that it is worth noting that even though the majority of the the uh, wealthy world has moved on, like we're not doing pandemic anymore, mm-hmm. the actual reality of making a show is still impacted and challenged. And yeah. so the availability of celebrities or comedians to do bits, to be present, to be good sports, to roll with stuff is 
probably diminished. And so we are not getting the idealized version of what this show could have been. Um, and I think that they did do some things which are worth noting and maybe repeating. Like, I do think that especially with the Golden Globes and Tatters, just own that. Grab the table thing. Do it. That's yeah. fun. The cool thing about the table, I would just say that it was both, I thought that the, regardless of how you feel about the show, the Ted Lasso squad definitely brought a lot of energy to the the room and Hannah Waddingham yeah, especially I, was like, I was like, can, can you just cheer me on as I make a podcast? Like, that would be awesome. I did a real 180 on whether we should be casting more West End musical people <laughs> in shows. You know what I mean? I was like, great. What a supported thing to say. Then I watched in practice what it means to cast West End musical people in a show. And I was like, I can't handle that. That is just that that dial goes way too high for me. The theater kid um, energy the, between the Ted Lasso squad and then also like Renee Elise Goldsberry's acceptance speech was just yeah. like this. This is like you could bottle that and just call it ode to theater. It's it's wild. Yeah. I, real, real, real cast party after Guys and Dolls 1995 energy. But you could also tell, um, you could also see like the vibes kind of like deflate in certain places. Like I, I did think that the Queen's Gambit response was somewhat muted at the very end. Now, possibly because they wanted to get out, get out of the building and get to their parties. And well, stuff, I think they but, were worried Scott Frank was going to talk more, um, <laughs> which we can circle back to. But the only other thing I want to say that I thought, it's not an innovation because they're always doing stuff like this, but I thought generally the decision to have the unseen voice of God announcer do the nominees and then have the celebrity come on to say the winner. I thought that was a perfectly reasonable, efficient change. You know, like we've, we've dinged the Oscars multiple times for like, we're going to have everyone come on stage or all these different things they do just to try to innovate or disrupt. But like that seemed good to me that made sense that kept it moving credit for that um chris where are we going next uh i want to do some like basically network streaming wars inside baseball stuff here which is just to say uh i thought it was interesting that netflix finally gets gets its guy uh on a night where i kind of feel like it's it's sort of becoming pretty self-evident that netflix is pivoting away from these kinds of shows you know obviously the crown many years uh both you know, in production and in development and has been a real workhorse for Netflix internationally over, over the last couple of years. The Crown wins Best Drama. Uh, Gillian Anderson, Olivia Coleman, and Josh O'Connor all win for acting and uh, it won for writing and for directing and drama. And Emma Corrin won the red carpet. From what yeah, I Emma Corrin was wearing a bathing cap, which is just like outrageously cool. Like, And then Queen's Gambit, obviously, winning for uh, what directing and for best limited series. Uh, so the, the, what the, essentially the big one at the end of the night, Netflix finally brings home all these awards after spending hundreds of millions of dollars, I'm sure on like on promo and FYC events and everything that goes into pushing a show, show for these awards. And yes, there is a final season of Ozark and a new series of season of Stranger Things. And I'm sure other things I'm not thinking of. And, you know, we didn't necessarily have Queen's Gambit earmarked as an awards juggernaut when it first came on our radar. But, you know, there have been some interviews with uh, some Netflix executives recently that I thought were not cagey, but were very sort of political about like them, their positioning of like, yes, of course, we still want awards fair. We still want prestige. We still want to be edgy, but we also understand we have a much bigger constituency than that. Just, you know, we need to make things for lots of different mm -hmm. people. So Netflix winning a bunch of awards at a moment where I'm not so sure what the next Netflix award show is, is, is an interesting development for me. 
I agree. It, it is seismic in town that Netflix won those awards and won more trophies in total than HBO this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's never happened before. But I think that you're right. This is really a test moment for what is driving the company. And are they truly, and there's no reason to think that they are not at this point, but are they truly in their DNA a tech company or are they a Hollywood company? Because even the most buttoned up, slightly jaded, you know, I see the big picture, I see the ones and zero binary code of who's watching what and what's actually making us a profit for our shareholders, person could be swayed by that much red carpet love. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that there is a sense when, um, like when Amazon got into the TV business, they were like, oh, well, Jeff Bezos bought a house in Hollywood. We're going to wine and dine him and the agencies are going to take him out. And like, he's going to fall so in love with celebrity, whatever. He's just going to want to fund our big dream here, you know? And that hasn't necessarily been the case with Amazon, although they're spending a ton of money. It hasn't really been the case for, like, I don't see Tim Cook at these events, even though Jason Sudeikis called him out with a nickname. That's right. You know, I, 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 I think that there's probably some aging columnist in Variety or Hollywood Reporter who's just like, Netflix, you can't let the glitter fade, you know? But I do believe that they don't, I don't know if they care about the glitter. I mean, right. both of those projects, right? It's worth noting, and, and we don't know, we're not privy to the innermost thoughts of these creators whatsoever, but didn't The Crown get Ozarked also? Like, didn't The Crown get its run curtailed? It, it has no, I think that left? was Peter Morgan had it. It was five seasons, and then he was like, no, it needs to be six. And they were like, great, whatever you want. Okay, but yeah. there, there's an end date on that. And uh, well, I mean, Queen's Gambit somewhat was because a, of, yeah, history, but yes. <laughs> right, but I'm saying that if this was HBO they would be announcing a massive overall deal with Peter Morgan and he's going to turn his attentions to this or this unknown period or the sure. queen will become an anthology series about different queens and maybe the band queen and who knows, like we got to keep this going. Or the Queen's Gambit is a spinoff in the larger queen universe. All this is to say, is at least as far as we know, Peter Morgan and Scott Frank are not making their next projects for Netflix. They're not like in the Netflix family as a creative entity. Netflix mm-hmm. was like, cool, that's neat. Yeah. People like this stuff. And Netflix did have now, a regime change. Have you noticed this floor out. is also lava? Like that, that's, <laughs> that seems to be their corporate MO and it's working. Yeah. And the only other inside baseball thing I thought I would mention is just that, you know, I think when various mergers and acquisitions happened, everybody was sort of wringing their hands about the state of HBO and what would happen to HBO. And is mm-hmm. HBO still going to be a home for the, you know, cream of the crop of, of television? And I think that they are. I think that I may destroy you and... Hacks and Mayor of Easttown all winning, all those people being very effusive about their experiences with HBO from the stage, talking about uh, the creative teams over over at HBO. Seemed like things were still... And, and, and no one was like, thank you to the creative team at HBO Max. They <laughs> were just like, thanks Casey and HBO and Francesca and the whole team. Like, even, did you, did you actually know, take something from that? Like there, that there is no, not I, actually a Max? Look, I think it was Gene Smart was like, thank you to everyone at HBO we all think of Hacks as an HBO show. It's not. It is a universal television co-production for HBO Max. Now, was there a shakeup at HBO that put the HBO team in charge of the programming of HBO Max? Yes. Have we talked about how like HBO programming, like scenes from a marriage, have billboards all over town saying, watch it on HBO Max? Yes. Is this tenable? I don't know. But so maybe Gene Smart was just, you know, shortening it and 
whatever. But it, I thought that was noticeable. Yeah, for sure. So th- did you have any other kind of like trades style like observations about what happened last night? Not really. Just to say it does. Well, I'm saying well, I want to celebrate how I thought remarkably finger on a pulse the show was. Sometimes I do wonder, like, what's John Goodman thinking? You know what I mean? Like John Goodman, one of the great actors of our time, one of the great TV actors of our time. Every morning wakes up, gets extremely well paid to go to work with his buddies and make a really decent show called The Connors. And millions of people watch it. Millions of people are like, hey, it's whatever night. I don't know what night it's on. Time to watch The Connors. You would think that they were operating in Narnia, you know, if you were to watch the yeah. show last night. You mean, like, you mean the broadcast complete dearth of does- broadcast TV? Yeah. Other than Sterling Brown and, and This Is Us in general, which, by the way, is a massively successful show. Sure. So, I mean, but, so is Mom. I mean, like, Alice and Janney was nominated, but, like, I mean, Alice like, and Janney those, is nominated, there, there but, were a couple of sitcoms that were still in the mix, yeah. So, so like, if you take, I was looking at this, I was curious, what were the numbers, what were the top-rated series of the, because there still is a season, 2020 to 2021 TV mm-hmm. season, right, that the broadcast networks follow for advertising purposes from the fall to the spring, which is why the Emmys always happened at the beginning of the fall season. If you look at the ratings um, and you take all the NFL football out of it, which <laughs> is most get to, of it. Get to the 50th most popular show. <laughs> exactly. First three shows, NFL football. Then This Is Us, Masked Singer, Grey's Anatomy, Football Again, The Equalizer, 911, The Bachelor Shows, Law & Order, Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, The 911 Spinoff, South Park, by the way, Law & Order SVU, Chicago Med, FBI, and The Good Doctor. And then Big so- Sky... You say like John Goodman. I think that the real thing is like maybe they should have a procedurals category. You know, I mean, if you if you if if there is an interest in bringing together the old and new world of television, which mm-hmm. I don't necessarily get the impression there is, but let's just say like I thought Ken Jong's like appearance was indicative w- of the massive too. success that is Mass Singer. His being kept outside of the you know of the ceremony was a joke but was also like probably the holding our nose while we say like oh yeah, and Mass Singer is also on like, yep. TV is still TV. TV is still going to be the place where you can go see the my pillow guy in the middle of the night if you need to. I mean, now that's probably a little bit more complicated. Chris, that guy's available whenever you need him. <laughs> yeah, but like, I'm just saying that, like, you know, Dr. Phil's appearance in that bit about not winning an Emmy, it's like Dr. Phil eats up a lot of hours on daytime broadcast television. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I've never watched a second of Dr. Phil. I'm just saying there is actually still like, 95% of television is not going to be like even mentioned. No, it, and that was funny for me being absolutely the wrong person to be commenting on this when there was that sketch that Dr. Phil was in uh, and Scott Bakula's there. And I was like, hey, it's Scott Bakula. Yeah. Scott Bakula, I haven't seen you since your remarkably nuanced turn on the HBO show Looking. What have you been doing? Google, Google, getting $20 million a year to be like, boy, these naval crimes in New Orleans are popping yeah. off. Like, okay, <laughs> that's a choice. Wish he'd, wish he'd take another one sometimes, but yeah. Uh, should we go through some of the actual winners uh, from the evening? We should. Okay, so uh, do you want to start with... Who would you like to start with? You want to start with Mikhail Cole? You want to start with Scott Frank? Well, I mean, I, I we, could, we, could, we could go category by category. Let, let's, do, let's just do... Let's, go, let's do like the show did. Let's go comedy, drama, limited, and talk about our sure. overall takeaways. So, so let's, let's start with comedy. Yep. Teddy Lasso. Ted Lasso. People, people love the show. 
there's a phenomenon that happens when a show gets recognized for awards where it's like, it's not the show's fault for winning awards. Yeah. But I don't think that winning a Best Comedy Emmy Award means Ted Lasso is... uh is like the second season of The Leftovers or something. Like it it's just in the category that Modern Family won for a decade. You know, like I I think that like that show has a lot of emotional uh and you know content that maybe you don't normally find in like a really broad sitcom. And it has elements that are like very 30 rock, lots of little references. And then it has elements that is just like straight workplace sitcom. And then on top of it, it has like the sort of more I think what people are very attracted to about the show, the humanity of it. But, you know, I think it's not, it's Ted Lasso's fault for winning a bunch of awards. I don't think anybody was trying to say like, this show is now like a major player in what TV can do. I don't people think he was saying that either. To hear me say this, since I, I don't watch the show and I continue to have no interest in returning to it, but I'm happy for it. I'm happy that people love something and I like it when there can be something, it's certainly not a monocultural phenomenon, but it is a multiple quadrant phenomenon where people from all walks of life and all age groups and all interest levels in the nature of television seem to have found it and embraced it. And I think that's only a good thing. You know, I, I, I don't think this is in any way like a cynical project that speaks ill of where we're headed culturally or artistically. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it's great that something that people poured their heart and soul into is being rewarded and recognized on such a high level. And I also think that you could make the you you could draw a line between me saying anyone ever thinking checking in with John Goodman and Netflix's decision making recently to Ted Lasso's triumph it doesn't mean that every service is looking for exactly Ted Lasso but it is a reminder that people like comedy shows with characters that they love people still like that at the end of the day and you can iterate all you want away from that notion and try to be smarter than it and get in front of it but Everyone laughed at Ted Lasso without reading a script or seeing an episode, mm-hmm. including, I have to believe, internally at Apple, being like, this, this is what we're doing. This is why we, you know, took a little of the iPod money and put it into the studio. Like, and it worked because people like things that are good in all senses. So I don't think it's a bad lesson for the industry to be reminded that people's tastes are in some ways knowable and dependable if you can do the hardest thing, which is deliver. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that uh, you, you, obviously you and I don't really chat about Ted Lasso, but the most recent episode is essentially an homage to Martin Scorsese's After Hours, quite explicitly. One, so One of my favorite movies. And so it's now like, you're getting me. But it, it is like continually, like I think that they have uh, managed throughout a relatively up and down second season to still try to keep the show fresh and try to throw different diff- different pitches. And sometimes the pitches completely miss the like the entire batter's box and home plate area. And sometimes the pitches are right in the money. But um, we can do drama I, now. I, I, um, I, also, so I also just want to say, I also think it's worth noting that all art is subjective. All award shows are capricious and ridiculous. But comedy is so subjective and hard that I, I may think uh, what we do in the shadows is the funniest show or that... Uh, Feel Good is the most remarkable, funny, and affecting show, or that Reservation Dogs, which wasn't eligible this year, but it was nice to see everyone on stage, you know, introducing an award, is the most, like, creative and expansive and and flexible and promising show. But just having those things recognized, I think, matters. I don't think that those shows are pen 15. They're not going to beat Ted Lasso. 
It ticks every box of what generally a broad swath of the world wants in a half-hour comedy show. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, should we do drama, which I guess is essentially a conversation about the crown? Oh, yeah. Uh, just other than to say, Gene Smart and the Hacks people winning was just awesome. That was, was really cool. I was, I, was, I was happy that there was some, like, that some other folks got in the mix and that it wasn't a, co- a complete walk. I mean, like you said, maybe the lasso, multiple nominations in each category uh, canceled each other out. But it was really cool. Lucia seemed genuinely surprised that she won for directing. And I, 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 I thought that was pretty dope. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know these three people other than the conversation I had with them on the podcast, but Lucia is a badass. And yeah. she was also uh, the creative backbone behind the Babysitter's Club show on Netflix that was really good. She's a really talented writer and really talented director. And that was really cool to see her singled out. The love on the hacks table in general was very moving. The mm-hmm. Hannah Einbender and, and, and Gene Smart connection, the standing ovation for Gene Smart, who looked incredible and, you know, having the strength to stand up there and talk about her late husband was really, really remarkable. Only other thing about the hacks thing is maybe I'm sure I'm thinking about this wrong because I know Atlanta won and Atlanta is what I'm about to say. But generally, there's a vibe that dramas are auteur driven. And so, you know, the person who's going to be standing up there is the person who conceived of everything. Your Brad Inglesby or your um, Scott Frank. Comedies sometimes are this weird um, mixture of like. Jason Sudeikis, the star, and Bill Lawrence, the veteran showrunner who's holding it all together. Hacks is really those three friends, Mm -hmm. two of whom are now married. Congratulations to them. I guess they got married last week. Um, uh, Paul and Lucia. Um, They just had this idea on a road trip and saw it all the way through. And there was something very personal and handmade about that that I thought was really nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 40%. Up to 40% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so, I mean, do you have any thoughts on drama outside of The Crown running the table? Just that I think we said when we saw the nominees, um, what an odd list. I mean, it was kind of a, it, it is very representative of what TV is for a lot of people these days, where you have shows that on paper have nothing to say to each other competing. And there was also that feeling that at least we had or expressed that just some bigger guns were missing. You know, Succession didn't, and Better Call Saul, neither of which made the cut this year. And most of the dramatic energy was shunted to the limited series category. All of that is to say, I al- I also have never watched The Crown. Have you never have watched a single episode of The Crown? No. Did you not start it? I'm anti- anti-royalist. That's probably, yeah. I mean, I at least, I mean, the thing is, is that like you have really strong political convictions. Always have, <laughs> always have. Um, I I just cannot express how little interest I have in any of that world. And I know many, I'm, I'm an outlier. Many people are very interested. But all that is to say, that kind of made sense to me that it won. That is the most best drama winning show in this group. They've done high level work for a long time. And it's a pretty nuts ensemble, not just of established geniuses like Olivia yeah. Coleman and Helena Bonham Carter is there, but also their track record of finding new superstars. I mean, I'd never heard of the guy who played Prince Charles Josh before Connor, I saw yeah. him freestyle rapping um, <laughs> on the uh, Twitch stream coming from the London room. Um, but, or Emma Corrin, but like, this is a well-run machine, clearly. Yeah, they've changed their ensemble over entirely, not missed Crazy. a beat. Olivia Coleman uh, is is extraordinary. I, I, am, I, I obviously love The Crown, and I, I think it's like a pretty transcendent show. Let's go, I guess, the limited series. So... Couple of different notes on this one. Do you want? Let's talk about yeah. this. The Scott Frank win for directing. Yeah, um, I, 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 sorry, I didn't mind it. I mean, here's the thing. First of all, he deserved to win directing. I, I've, that's my first note. He deserved to win. Um, my second thing was you invite a writer on stage. The writer's written something. He's winning all these Emmys. You think he's going to take edit notes from the dude pressing the button? Right. Like a hundred percent he's not going to. When when he they saw him come up with three page a three page. Uh, so wait, when he opens document. out the th- opens up the thing, I was yeah. like, man, maybe he put his index card yes. of thank yous inside like a menu. You know what I mean? Yes. Or inside like a uh some instructions for assembling IKEA furniture. Or maybe you thought I remember recently you saw my notes for a podcast interview because we shared them in a Google document and you learned that I like go wild with the sizing of the font and like do all cap bold yeah. so that when I go from looking at someone's face on the screen to glancing at a document, you know where to I look. can see where I'm at. Yeah. So I thought maybe that's what he was doing. Not the case. He was just going to read his thank yous. And I don't know. It's your moment. Here's my, here's my much. take on all awards speeches. Mm-hmm. Those people are actually in competition and then they win and they're lucky enough to get up on stage. The idea of saving time by cutting them short is the dumbest part about all award ceremonies. That being said, and I have a lot of personal affection both for Scott Frank and for the Queen's Gambit, I suppose what what he did, which is not like egregious, he just read a thank you letter basically to the cast Mm -hmm. and crew and had personal anecdotes and was just like, I refuse to 
get knocked off my square. A lot of people see the red light flashing. They're like, shit, I got to wrap it up. Shout out to Gary and Steve and Bernie and everybody. And that never makes better TV, by the way, for people. Yeah, like, oh, I'm no, never oh, like, gosh, oh, cool. I'm freaking out. Like, I'm glad that this person has waited their whole life for this moment and is now and like now they have rushed a panic through attack. it. Yeah. But Terrific. he was just like, fuck that. I am reading this whole thing and you can turn the music off even if you're going to try and play it three times. But like, th- if you gave me like, that would not be in the top 50 of things that I would have shredded from the document of this award show. It yes. would have been Bismarcky raps, songs and skits and all this other stuff. I know you need that to like live it up sometimes, but you know, I hope I wish everybody talked longer. There was, there's not like, there's a lot of like weird costume designer person who like is going to now tell some long story about their daughter. It's like that, like these yeah, are the this people is, who made the show. That's a great point. This is the Emmys. You are not committed to giving five minutes to the co-directors of the best animated short. Right. Like that's the Oscars bitter pill to swallow. You know, no offense. Maybe the animated short winners are good sometimes. They actually they were with the with the hair one the other year. But my point is, you don't go into it thinking this, we're not sure how this is gonna go. Like right. what's the worst thing that's gonna happen here? Like Scott Frank, genius level creator who's beloved by his cast and crew, is gonna get a little emotional about it okay, I can handle it. I think he also, gaming it out, he knew that they were likely to win series. And he also knew he wasn't speaking then. That the producer was going to give this, I mean, that was a low point for me, to end the award show with the rando producer being like, and and Anya, you brought sexy back and shattered the patriarchy. I'm like, okay, all right. Now play the music. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so just let, let, let Scott Frank cook. Goodness sake. Let everybody cook. Didn't bother me. I mean, I wish Michaela Cole's speech, which was probably the highlight of the night, you know, and her and her and obviously even the reaction to her winning was one of where you could tell almost everybody in that room was pretty thrilled. You could just hear. You could hear the applause because people were like, this is the people's champ. And Cynthia Revo thanking like like grabbing her. It was just really cool. I wish that speech was longer, but I'm but it was concise and it was perfect in its conciseness, you know? It 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 is so significant that she won. I got, that's why I'm just not here for any takes that begin with but, but, but. Like, yeah, it would be cool if Miami Destroy You won all the big awards. It wasn't popular enough to win those big awards. It doesn't have to be to still be groundbreaking and influential and hugely important. When you heard the applause in that room, that was not canned. That's the people's champ right there, right? Anyone who works in the industry knows that that was the most important show of last year. And right. we're going to be feeling the ripples from it for a long time. And then she collected herself and she went on stage and she delivered a really important and beautiful speech that was, an, it was an award for writing and she spoke to writers. Yep. And I thought that was an incredibly- That was really cool. Um, moving use of Whereas, her platform I will say, moment, it did it seem great. like Scott Frank, exactly what you were saying, which was like, he was probably like, this is the only chance I'm going to get to talk. So I'm going to use the director award to mm-hmm. address- all of like the everything, the, the entire production. You're right. Michaela went up and spoke as a writer to writers. And I thought that was great. We can end just by uh, shouting out, you know, it's interesting. I think that as, as we got closer and closer to the Emmys, less and less likely it seemed for me that Mare was going to win uh, best limited drama. And maybe that's fine because there's already been sort of chirps here and there from Kate Winslet about possibly doing another season. So it's just as well. Um, when you say chirps, that's when she hits us on the Metro PCS that's right. when phones she, that she had we us, have only with her. We have these Nextel things, yeah. Uh, she, Kate Winslet wins, Julianne Nicholson wins, supporting actress. That was a surprise. That was, was very, awesome. Uh, surprise to Julianne Nicholson. And uh, Evan Peters deservedly wins for his incredible performance. Um, 
my guy Evan needs needs a tanning bed for sure. <laughs> like as as a pale, pale dude. <laughs> I, I just I love it when the wealth gets spread around a little bit. Like I we loved both those shows. Obviously, the the HBO and the producers, you know, would have loved to take that victory lap. But I think your point about it maybe coming back, so it sort of helps us in the future or helps them in the future, so they don't have to defend that winning limited. Right. Makes sense. Um, I like it when the wealth gets shared. I thought that was thrilling. I think those performer performances were amazing. And the other thing that I really love, and this is what this is why you do, I think, the tables, is you get a sense of this being a community. And I think that there are a lot of missed opportunities to take advantage of that. Like when Kate Winslet is on stage being like, Brad Inglesby, you are everything. And the camera didn't even attempt to find him. But you get other moments like Kate Winslet wins for actress. And then you see Cynthia Erivo and Michaela Cole, who just in that moment lost Mm -hmm. that award, just loving it and celebrating and looking to her and Kate Winslet looking back. And I'm like, that is a nice moment that speaks to an artistic community and, and, I wish the I wish the cameras had taken more advantage of that possibility um, throughout. But it's very hard, as you said at the beginning, to look at this list of winners and be like, "Well, that's out of touch." Right. I, I thought that was remarkable. Right. Um, we can wrap it up before there. we wrap up. I did want to bring up one thing, and I just really more as a question, which is coming out of the Emmys, there was criticism for Rita Wilson at all, as there probably should have been, and how the show overall kind of dragged, even though a lot of the winners were deserving. The largest, loudest drumbeat of criticism was that despite nominating a record number of performers of color, the winners in the major categories were not performers of color. And so Mm -hmm. you see the hashtag Emmy so white trending, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I guess I I see that. And I I, I don't know if it's even possible in an extremely online way to to ask this, but I, I, I wonder in the most good faith way imaginable, what can we do about this? What can be done? What ought to be done? Is it a question of changing the electorate in the voting? Is it a question of more acting categories or more opportunity for nominees and for people to win? I'm not sure what the way out of this is because I, I think it's tough to argue that the winners are undeserving. It's certainly impossible to argue that the nominees are all undeserving. I mean, that's the nature of this. I can't tell and I'd be curious for feedback on this from wherever it comes. If I am being too incrementalist or conservative or hidebound to say, I was, I remain impressed by the slate of nominees overall in that you can lead the horse to water. You cannot make the horse drink, right? That's something I learned sure. from Cry Macho. That, that you definitely did not that, watch Cry Macho. <laughs> but I almost got away with it. I think we, yeah. you, you made the joke that we watched Cry Macho last night with Patrick Stewart <laughs> and Lauren Michaels' acceptance speeches or, or being on stage. I, I guess I, I don't know how you get to the next place, but I do think that where we were at the beginning of last night was remarkable in how far we've come and how exciting it was to see all of those performers deservedly on the stage or in the room and in the conversation. I think that part of what was at issue was the, um, I guess, like essentially, like the amount of white performers who had been recognized throughout the night, mm-hmm. up to the point when the guy who's the Television Academy president made a big speech about diversity, and right. uh, you know, and then I think RuPaul was the only person of color who had won an award yet, and like yet they're bringing out Reservation Dogs cast, and you know, like there was just like a feeling that there was a lo- little bit of like. Window dressing, it's okay, but when you actually get down to brass tacks, we're still just giving awards to people who play 
British monarchs or 1950s chess geniuses or whatever, it, I, or, or complicated cops. And like, I think that this is where we are, where, you know, I, I, I really don't even understand what it means anymore to say, well, it's about having a conversation. But I think that is kind of what we're doing. Does it mean that no award show will ever to be able to be quote unquote purely enjoyed for the entertainment and distraction that it is? If it ever because was, yeah. We're, yeah, like to the extent that you actually find these things like entertaining or enjoyable, does it mean that essentially like every one of these award shows, every one of these sort of bellwether, every one of these sort of mile marker events in the course of an entertainment pop culture year will be discussed through the lens of what kind of people are getting recognized? Yeah, we're probably going to do that. We're probably going to keep doing that. If you want to enjoy these things online, if you want to be in some kind of discourse about these things, prepare for Oscar So White. Prepare for whatever. Yeah. Like Prepare for that to be one of the things that you're going to have to confront. That's how change happens, probably. The pressure people feel to open up their fucking minds a little bit and maybe think a little bit more thoughtfully about what kind of shows are being made? What kind of shows are being recognized? What kind of performances are being recognized? Do I think somebody should have necessarily... like? Do I think Kate Winslet was somehow undeserving? No, of course not. Of course not. But I do think that like this is kind of like mm -hmm. where you... This is how you get to a somewhat more equitable, just pop culture society, yeah. even if that seems like utopian. It can and should be uncomfortable and it, things can and should be put on the front burners and put in front of people's faces and made to be confronted and considered and thought about. I do think that we continue to put too much attention on this, the wrong end of the entertainment product making machine. Mm -hmm. um, awards are always going to be capricious and weird. It's just the way it is. The more time we spend criticizing who won best supporting actor in a drama in a limited series in 2021, that's less time we spend talking about the decision making that went into green lighting a project offering an open writing assignment to someone, casting someone, thinking that you could cast some, thinking more creatively about who could be cast in one part, in what part, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's and that's a one more moment that the spotlight isn't on the people making those decisions at the front end, which I think are ultimately more important. The end of it conversation, we end up in these places that I think are unwinnable, like the, that we saw at the Oscars, where everyone in America wanted Chadwick Boseman to win an Oscar. Anthony Hopkins wanted Chadwick Boseman to win an Oscar. Right. You know what I mean? He should win an Oscar. And, and everyone is so devastated that that was his last performance to win an Oscar. I mean, sadly, something but, very similar happened with, with Michael K. Williams last night, where he was obviously... That's exactly right. I meant to mention that. There was like a huge that, piece of... Did. Kerry Washington recognizes him, but Tobias Menzies winds up winning the award that Michael K. Williams was up for. And, and for all my... You know, I didn't love Lovecraft Country, but Michael K. Williams is extraordinary on that show and was it would have been a deserving winner but exactly but in an opaque voting block of industry professionals on a subjective award isn't going to be you're not going to find justice there often you know i think yeah. it's i think it's tough to look for it but it, it, there's no there's no wrong answer here i mean there's no it's not it's totally okay to be upset about it i just feel like that's not where we're going to see the change happen ultimately it's going to start at the beginning of the process and then eventually make its Trickles way to in. this end product. Yeah. Well, we can wrap up there. Thanks for talking to me about the Emmys. Thanks to Kaya McMullen for producing. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about the season finale of Reservation Dogs and I'm sure a couple other things, probably morning show, something like that. So uh, thanks everybody listening for listening. Congratulations on your wins last night. Thank uh, you. Brilliant. I was waiting. Oh, and, and, and Chris. <laughs>